Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're tuned in this morning. Well, I hope you had an incredible Christmas. We had a great time celebrating with family and friends. Probably had one of the greatest meals that I've ever had. It was a lot of fun, and the main issue was celebrating Jesus' birth and the hope that he alone gives human beings. I hope you tuned in last week for the Evidence for Christmas, an interview with Dr. Habermas and Dr. Blomberg, two of the experts on the reliability of the New Testament documents and the historicity of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And I hope you got a lot out of that show. It was a great show. Well, today we're going to go in a different kind of direction. We're going to talk about 2013 and the year in review. It's our last show of the year, and I hope you'll enjoy the show today. As we begin looking at the past year, the highlight of this past year for me was the birth of my son, Micah. Micah was born the second week of January, and he's about to have his first birthday coming up here, and it has been an absolute blessing and joy to have him in our lives. I'm blessed with Eliana and Kara, two of the greatest kids you could ever imagine, two beautiful little girls, two wonderful daughters, and Aaron, my wife, and I cherish and love them more than ever, and we are thrilled that God also gave us a boy this year. So my 2013 year in review is kind of swamped by the highlight of Micah being born. Definitely a huge highlight in the Herbst home. Well, 2013 in a lot of ways was a pretty bad year. There were a bunch of different news stories that were very saddening. What's new, right? Usually when you look at the news, it is saddening and disheartening. We're going to look at 10 of the biggest stories of the year, and I'm going to conclude with an 11th story that may be very shocking to you. And all of these stories, in a sense, are kind of sad. Most of them are not good at all. But in the midst of these bad stories, there is hope. And in the midst of these hard issues, there is hope. And I'm not going to leave you with all doom and gloom. We will share some hope at the end of the show and talk about a great message from the Old Testament minor prophet Habakkuk about the hope that we can have when we are looking at a society gone awry. Additionally, I'll leave you with a few encouragements about your New Year's resolutions. Well, the year in review. I guess not all the news is bad. The Higgs boson was empirically verified. That was a good thing. The God particle, as it's been called, was empirically verified this year, and that is huge. It's fundamental to the standard model of physics. I believe that Higgs should get the Nobel Prize in physics now that his 50-plus-year-old theory is confirmed. This is an incredible story, and it's a positive story from the world of science. If you listen to the show, you know that my undergraduate degree is in chemistry, and I love science, and I was fascinated with this story this year. So the question that everybody asks is, is it really a God particle? Well, no. Here's why. The standard model requires a universal energy field which has mass in the form of energy. The Higgs bosons are the particles within the Higgs field that transfer the mass from the field to other particles passing through it. The endowment of mass from the field through the boson to the particle is called the Higgs effect. Now, a way that you could think about this, and I shared it on a previous God Solution show 
you could get that at godsolutionshow.com, is a McDonald's example. When you go to McDonald's, there is a cashier that will hand you your food after you order it. Now, the food you could consider the Higgs boson, and the cashier handing you the food, you could consider the Higgs field, and you could consider yourself the one whose mass increases due to the Higgs boson. It's kind of a funny way of looking at it. But this is far from a God particle that creates mass, just like the cashier and the hamburger they hand you are not creating any mass. They're just distributing it from one place to another. So also the Higgs boson and the Higgs field are just distributing mass to objects from a mass that already existed. In other words, the first law of thermodynamics, that matter cannot be created or destroyed, is not violated. The God particle doesn't create mass from nothing. So God particle isn't a very good word to use here is a misnomer. We know that logic and evidence confirm God's existence. Just a quick example, the cosmological argument, Big Bang cosmology, even though I don't agree with all of Big Bang cosmology, the scientific aspects of it concerning the beginning of the universe prove a supernatural beginning from nothing a finite time ago. And even Higgs himself hates the term God particle, for that very reason, because it's offensive to believers, and it's fundamentally not true. And Higgs even challenged the world's biggest atheists recently, saying what Dawkins does too often is to concentrate his attack on fundamentalists. But there are many believers who are just not fundamentalists. Fundamentalism is another problem. I mean, Dawkins, in a way, is almost a fundamentalist himself of another kind. I think you have to be rather more careful about the whole debate between science and religion than some people have been in the past. Now, catch what Higgs says. I don't happen to be a believer myself, but maybe that's just more a matter of my family background than that there's any fundamental difficulty about reconciling the two. So Higgs, the originator of the Higgs boson theory, himself said this year that there is no contradiction between faith and science. And he even challenged the world's greatest atheist on that point. So, Great news, the Higgs boson was empirically verified. Other news this year, Jorge Bergoglio became Pope Francis. Now, I'm not a Catholic. I'm a non-denominational Christian. And there are some things I really like about this Pope and some things I really don't like about this Pope. I like his authentic and transparent personality, his regard for the poor and the needy and the destitute, his genuine humility, and I even like his background in chemistry since I share a background in chemistry. I don't like his comments that you don't need to believe in God to be saved. He said, you ask me if the God of the Christians forgives those who do not believe and who do not seek the faith. I start by saying, and this is the fundamental thing, that God's mercy has no limits. I agree with him there. If you go to him with a sincere and contrite heart, the issue for those who do not believe in God is to obey their conscience. Sin, even for those who have no faith, exists when people disobey their conscience. He seems to be implying that as long as you're not disobeying your conscience, you're fine. Well, Scripture says quite the opposite. It says that each one of us is sinful from birth and desperately needs a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that no matter how good we are, we could never earn the salvation that only Jesus can give us. I've seen a lot of people trying to wiggle them out of those comments, but none of the damage control is convincing. 
Jesus was very clear that, quote, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, believing in God is fundamental and necessary for salvation. I also have a problem with some of the Pope's wavering on key fundamental moral issues. Now, concerning one of those moral issues, a big issue in the news this year was that the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act. That's big news. Justice Kennedy explained in the majority decision that this was an issue of equality. I've said on this show before, and I'll state it again, it's not an issue of equality. For all of American history, any man could marry another woman, and any woman could marry another man. In other words, we've always had equality in marriage. Anyone could choose to marry the opposite sex. No one could choose to marry the same sex. There's never been an inequality. Now, when we start giving certain groups certain privileges based on their specific actions, other groups with different actions, for example, the polygamists, are now not allowed the new, quote-unquote, equality. So the striking down of DOMA has presented for the first time in American history a real inequality in marriage. You might disagree with me, but those are just the plain facts. Now, the marriage debate should not focus on the issue of equality because, like I just stated, it has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with redefining an institution that has been the bedrock of society for millennia. If our country wants to have that discussion, we should have that discussion. But we shouldn't mask that with this pretend facade of equality because it's not an issue of equality. We also rediscovered this year that tolerance only goes one way. And I've talked about tolerance several times on the God Solution Show. Go to GodSolutionShow.com and check out some of the shows on tolerance. But just in the past week, we heard of Phil Robertson's crass comments about homosexuality. And a lot of what he said was extremely uncouth and crass, and he didn't word it very well. He did quote scripture from 1 Corinthians 6, and that's scripture that all believers believe. And we believe that that scripture is God's word. Now, a lot of the other comments that he made were crass and unacceptable, and I hope he apologizes for them. But what is important to note is that he should have the freedom to speak his mind, even in ways that come across very wrong. Unfortunately, he was penalized for exercising his free speech. And we find in this country that that type of inequality is prevalent, that people taking a stand on their religious beliefs are shut down, and they're not given the tolerance or equality that is expected of them towards those on the other side of the spectrum. This is wrong. Larry Taunton writes in The Atlantic, Tolerance is not the same thing as acceptance, and acceptance is not the same thing as an endorsement. The message A&E's decision sends is that the network will not tolerate someone who conscientiously objects to homosexuality on religious grounds. The implication of that message is that 45% of Americans should, in principle, be prepared to either sacrifice their jobs or recant their beliefs and endorse a lifestyle to which they are opposed. Conscience be damned. To the extent that we embrace that implication, in television and in other American industries, we are also embracing an identity as a nation that forces conformity while calling it tolerance. He couldn't have stated it more articulately. 
The reality is that tolerance only goes one way in modern American culture. And if you disagree with society's status quo, you are not tolerated. Brandon Ambrosino, who is a gay blogger, asks, I wonder if the Duck Dynasty fiasco says more about our bigotry than Phil's. I respect his honesty and his integrity in stating that. As I've stated often before on this show, tolerance should be epitomized by recognizing true differences, not just glossing over them, and respecting others in spite of their differences. See, tolerance is not just saying, we accept everyone across the board and all beliefs are equal. That's idiocy. That would mean that we would have to accept Hitler's extermination of the Jews and many other people. That would mean that we would have to say it was okay that Stalin murdered his hundred million or so, or however many it was. It's wrong that all ideas are equal, and it's wrong that all actions are equal. Some things are genuinely okay, and some things genuinely are not okay. And it's wrong to just gloss over differences in this farce of tolerance. True tolerance requires that we recognize true differences and respect each other in spite of our differences and carry on a meaningful dialogue with that respect to get us to a better place as a society. That's the kind of tolerance that is absolutely lacking in this society, which is allowing tolerance for only one perspective and condones bigotry for all others. And that's wrong. As Christians, we need to go far beyond tolerance and we need to love others with the same love that God has shown us. So I can look at people that have very different viewpoints than I do, and I can realize that those people, as different as they are from myself, they are created in the image of God himself. And as such, I must love them. I must love them because God has commanded me to love them as I love myself. And to love him first, and out of that love for him, to love his creation. See, that love goes beyond tolerance. Instead of just tolerating people that are different than me, I love them. And the biblical definition of love includes putting their good above my own. This is something that our society drastically needs. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're talking about some of this year's biggest news stories and we're recapping the year and getting ready to start off 2014. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, another big news story this year was the Boston Marathon bombing. Zokar and Tamerlan Sarnev, two Muslim extremist brothers, bombed the Boston Marathon, killing three and wounding many more. It was a tragic situation. I thank God that they were stopped before they carried out any more of their terrorism. It was fitting that the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. It kind of showed the strength of that city. Unfortunately, I'm a Cardinal fan, so the Red Sox beat my beloved Cardinals in the World Series, but I'm glad that that city was able to respond to those attacks in that way. It was a tragic thing, and I think that it reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. When we look at these terrible things in society and people murdering each other over religious perspectives, we realize that in Christ we're called to love each other and that Christ offers hope to all people to save us from our sins, even those sins of terrorism. 
Okay, government scandals <laughs> plagued the news this year. Remember the IRS scandal where the government was targeting conservatives, requiring donor lists, conversation topics, volunteer names, the content of their prayers? No kidding. This was insane that our government would be doing this kind of thing to its political opponents. Absolute nonsense. But it was happening, and it came out, and unfortunately, it seems like they're getting away with it without a problem. Additionally, the NSA government spying scandal broke. Snowden is a traitor, but I can't say I'm upset about what he's divulged. He should be punished as a traitor, but it is kind of important, I think, that that information is out in the public. Knowing the government is keeping track of our phone calls, texts, emails, and countless other personal data is disheartening, to say the least. And it flies in the face of the Constitution and the freedom that it was meant to protect. I hope Americans will vote to preserve our democracy before authoritarianism dominates the land. The government shutdown was big in the news this year, and I can't say I was all that upset with the government shutdown. Only a small and virtually unnecessary portion of the government was shut down. I think our government is far too large in the first place. If you disagree with that, just look at the national debt that we're racking up. More on that in a minute. But the reality is that this government is way larger than any of our founders ever envisioned it being, has much more power than any of our founders ever envisioned. It's a lot more like the tyranny that they were trying to escape than the country that they began. And I think it's wrong that it's so large, and shutting a small and insignificant portion of it for a few weeks was not that big of a deal. It was quite deplorable the way our government politicized the whole thing, making veterans and others suffer needlessly. That was wrong, and it just showed the absolute insanity of our political system today. The amount of debt that our country is racking up is truly staggering. This current administration has increased our national debt from 10.6 to 17.3 trillion dollars. It has nearly doubled the national debt acquired by every president in history before it. That's incredibly wrong. And I'm not just pointing the finger at this administration because the one before it did almost as bad. If you want to see what a terrible situation our national debt is in, just go to usdebtclock.org, usdebtclock.org, and you'll be terrified when you see how quickly our national debt is racking up. I hope Americans will wise up to this critical danger and vote for politicians who will be a bit wiser than those in recent memory. The last two administrations have absolutely decimated our country by adding so much national debt. So that brings us to Obamacare, one of the greatest additions to our national debt, and it will prove to be over the coming years an enormous addition to the national debt. What happens when Congress rams through hundreds of pages of legislation that no one has read? Exactly what you're seeing in the news happens when that happens. At least they all knew it would be bad enough to exempt themselves from it. I wish they'd do that for the rest of us. It has been entertaining watching the rollout of Obamacare, but it has also been a little saddening. A lot of people are genuinely being hurt through this tragic process. The website problems are funny, and they're a funny distraction from the legislative nightmare of Obamacare. The contraceptive mandates are insidious, literally forcing religious institutions like the Catholic Church to violate their religious convictions this is crazy that any government would do this, especially one that is formed on the foundation of religious freedom. 
the abortion funding that will happen, even though Obama promised it wouldn't. A recent study found that Obamacare will fund between 71,000 and 111,000 abortions each year. This is deplorable. The attack on small businesses and new jobs that is implicit in Obamacare, I actually have friends who own a business with 49 employees. And they told me that they're not adding the 50th because of Obamacare. They can't afford to add the 50th. And it's crazy that in an economy that's spiraling out of control, where we need new jobs like never before, this legislation exists, which is preventing employers from hiring new employees. Additionally, the last time I checked, nearly 400 employers nationally have cut their employees' hours to less than 30 hours per week in order to circumvent the employer mandate. This bill is doing a lot of damage, and it's doing a lot of damage in places where it really hurts. On top of all that, social health care has never worked anywhere it's ever been tried. Why do we have all the medical innovations, all the pharmaceutical life-saving drugs? Why do we have the best care in the world? Well, it's because we had a system in place that rewarded those that provided the best health care. Well, the second we erode that, we're going to lose the health care that was being provided, and we're already seeing that. I grew up in a country with social health care in Romania, and it was terrible. The best neurologist in the country told me my headaches were coming from leaving windows open in the house. And it's a thing that Romanians believe, curent in the house, and it's kind of a crazy myth in the country. And the greatest top neurologist in the country was buying into it. It just shows you the level that your health care will drop to when it becomes socialized. It's alarming how many exemptions this administration keeps issuing to save this bill. And I don't think they have the authority to keep making these exemptions. And they are setting up a true inequality in our nation. And again, I would just argue that they should exempt all of us. And I'm not the first to argue that by any means. Okay, on to natural disasters. There were two big ones this year. And those were the tornado in Moore, Oklahoma, that killed 24, and Typhoon Haiyan, which killed more than 6,000 people in Southeast Asia and the Philippines. And in addition to those natural disasters, we had human disasters, wars, and rumors of wars, as Jesus himself prophesied would occur in the last days. The U.S. made a very bad deal with Iran, virtually allowing them to do whatever they want with very few limitations and requiring very little of them and giving them a whole lot in return. It was a terrible deal. Additionally, North Korea threatened to nuke virtually everyone, I think. <laughs> Even putting out a map of all the cities it wanted to nuke in America. That was terrible. But do you remember how North Korea developed their nukes right under UN supervision based on the deal that they made with Clinton and others? Well, it's crazy to think that Iran will be any different. And it's crazier to think that we'll be in any better situation with Iran later than we are with North Korea now. Wars and rumors of wars. The Syrian civil war and Assad's chemical weapons attack were terrible. Unfortunately, the good guys there are al-Qaeda. Uh, the Egyptian protests, which ousted Morsi, I think were actually a good thing. I have a personal and vested interest in the security of that nation. And I'm thankful that the terroristic organization that was running that country is out of power. I just hope that the military rulers of that country will actually 
treat all people in that country with dignity and respect and protect their good and welfare, not harming it. As you think about all these natural disasters and these wars and rumors of wars and a lot of the other bad news that I've shared today, I want to encourage you to check out the problem of pain, suffering, and evil at GodSolutionShow.com where we discuss the answers to the problem of pain and suffering and evil and the theological dilemma that they pose. And as I state that, and you'll hear on that show, everybody has to deal with the problem of evil, the atheist as well. And I think we as Christians have the best answers to that problem. And we are the only ones that have true hope when faced with that issue in our own lives. All right. Mandela died this year, and that was a sad story. He ended apartheid in South Africa, and he led that country as its president. He did incredible good. He was a Christian brother who will be greatly missed. I'm not sure what denomination he was, but I think most people think that he was a Methodist. I know that he had a lot of Methodist connections. Whatever the case, he was a Christian that loved God, and he allowed the inward change that God produced in his life to produce an outward effect in his leadership. And I think that's the model that each of us should follow, allowing Christ to change us inside first so that we can help others second. As we mourn his loss, it's not only a tragic story, though, because we remember his life, which was a very, very fruitful life with a lot of good done. It is sad to see him go, though. Okay, so the most tragic story of the year, I don't know if you caught this one in the news, but do you remember the story of one million babies in our country being murdered this year? It was a tragic story, and I hope you remember it, because if you don't remember it, uh, it, that's tragic too. But yes, this year there were one million murders of babies in our country. You know, when we look at crime statistics, this kind of flies under the radar a lot of times. The reality is that one million babies were killed in this country this year through legal abortion. And I can't end this show without recognizing that tragedy. And I can't wait for the day when we respect all life and when tolerance, quote unquote, is offered to the least of these, to the unborn, the ones that should be first to receive our protection as a nation, those that can't even defend themselves. You know, and everyone else knows, that abortion is the clinical ending of a human being's life. I would just ask you to call a spade a spade and to make a decision to take a stand for life for the rest of your life. That being said, where is the hope in all this? Considering all these stories, I was recently a bit discouraged, and I asked God during one of my times with him to direct me to where he wanted me to read in Scripture. And that morning, I sensed that I needed to read the Old Testament minor prophet Habakkuk. And the book begins with Habakkuk asking God how long he will wait to punish injustice. And God explains he will soon punish injustice. And he explains that he'll do that with the Babylonians. Habakkuk says, whoa, God, the Babylonians are worse than, than us. They're worse than Judah. How could you possibly let them punish us? And God says, hey, I'm sovereign. I'm in charge. You're not in charge. He says, Habakkuk, the righteous, will live by faith, and he calls him to trust him. At that point, Habakkuk comes full circle, and he recognizes God's authority, and he comes to a place of trusting God, even when everything around him looks like it's spiraling out of control. I would encourage you to do the same thing 
to trust God with all the uncertainty and chaos around you, even when it looks like there is no hope. And there is hope. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what about those New Year's resolutions? Well, considering all this, I would encourage you to make your first resolution to begin a relationship with God or to grow the relationship that you have with God. I would ask you to put your faith in God, turning from your old way of life and turning to him, saying, Jesus, I need you. Please come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died for my sins and that you rose again. Thank you. He says if you put your faith in him, you will be adopted into his family. And I can't think of a better way to begin the year. And I know that that foundation will help you with all the other New Year's resolutions you might have as well. Well, visit a local church this morning. You could go to GodSolutionShow.com to find a list of local churches and when and where they meet. Get all of our previous shows at GodSolutionShow.com and please let us know what you think. I appreciate your comments and questions. Remember, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I hope you have the greatest year of your life coming in 2014. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great Sunday.